You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I, um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a part one on the book of Ruth. And I'm going to do, um, how many of you were here when I did the first one? Oh, well, I'm just going to do the same thing. So in closing, <laughs> no. no, there's so much, so many remarkable principles and ideas and concepts that um, have helped me through the years that um, I don't want to skate right by them. And if you think about having been to church 52 times this last year, how many of you could tell me 52 messages? You know why? We don't get it in one little shot. And sometimes we don't get it in one whole life, to be honest about it. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to take another look and I want, I want to begin by reading, um, from an introduction to the book of Ruth from the Passion Translation. Brian Simmons did that translation. He's a personal friend of mine. I really appreciate, um, what he's written, but Brian writes this, Ruth's undying devotion to her mother-in-law Naomi has gone down in Israel's history as an example of courage and selflessness. Ruth, the Gentile from Moab, became a direct ancestor of David and of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we read the book of Ruth, we see that mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's say that together. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It tells us this, the least become the greatest. That's good news. Let's say that together. The least become the greatest. And the last one, famine. No, it's not the last one. There are two more really good ones. Famine leads to harvest time. And I'm just going to let you say the fourth one before I do. Oh, despair turns into delight. Despair turns into delight. We find all that in this tiny little three-chapter book of Ruth. And it comes in, well, actually, I guess there's four chapters, but there are four different acts that comprise the book that paint, I'm reading again from Brian Simmons, a glorious whole that number one, It emphasizes the faithfulness of one woman to another. It mirrors the faithful heart of God himself. It reveals the sovereignty of God during desperate times. Let me read that again. It reveals the sovereignty of God during desperate times. That means God's at work when you don't realize it. And it establishes the chain of the genealogy leading from Israel's Messiah who redeems not only Jews, but Gentiles as well. And so those are some common themes, some really important concepts and ideas that we find in the book of Ruth. So if you're not familiar with the story, let me give you just a little short synopsis. A family left their home in Bethlehem during a time of famine to live in the land of Moab. The father, Elimelech, died. His two sons married Moabite women, but then both of them died. The matriarch of the clan, Naomi, 
returned to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, because she had heard that the Lord had visited them by giving them bread. So the famine was over. Here was the problem. Naomi returned to Bethlehem in a much different condition than she left. She left as a prominent, respected matriarch of that community. But she returned broken, bitter, disappointment in God. And as a bankrupt, impoverished widow with a foreign Moabite daughter-in-law, their prospects for survival were bleak. Very difficult during Bible times for women who did not have vital connections with mates or children to actually survive. That was what she faced. Well, the first part of Naomi and Ruth's story reveal what I would call significant insights for spiritual formation. And to me, that's a major, um, that's a major purpose of why we gather together is to develop, to form spiritually in a positive way. Um, as we study the book, we discover particularly in the life of Naomi, a woman who was transformed by the Lord through extremely difficult and confusing circumstances. Anybody have any extremely difficult and confusing circumstances in your life? But here's what you have to recognize. It took a process. It did not always look good. And you could easily question if you were going to make it or not. Anybody... Uh, have any uh, sensitivity here, but God did not just bring Naomi through. He did something so remarkable, even in light of the death of her husband, her two sons, he did something so remarkable and so much more remarkable than could have ever have happened before all that disaster. So don't misinterpret your heartaches. Don't make up your mind about who God is in the middle. The gospel is good news. And if it's not good yet, it's not the end yet. Somebody ought to be happy about that. So I find a lot of principles I've needed for my own spiritual life. So let me, let me preach to myself this morning. If you'd care to listen, that's fine. The first thing I've thought about, and I've already mentioned it, but it's appreciate your survival. Naomi was a survivor. Ruth 1.5 says, so the woman, after all this disaster, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. The woman survived. Let's just say together, I survived. The woman survived. Rule number one, survive. You got to get rule number one right, but you've got to develop an appreciation of the fact that you're still functional. You're still in the game. Here's a quote from Sir Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, keep going. That's a little secular philosophy there, but it's the idea I really believe is good. You're a survivor. If you're here today, you're a survivor. No matter what shape you're in, if you have a shape to be in, then you're eligible to advance and progress and experience anew the goodness and the supernatural power of God at work, 
in your life. Let me say that again. At work in your life, though you may not know it's there. And that's exactly what Ephesians 3.20 says. Now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let me say that again. Now, this is a praise. What would he do earlier? We worshiped God. Why do we worship him? Many reasons. One reason is he's worthy. We offer him worship. And that's what Paul was doing here. He was offering praise to God. Which God? Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And then he adds this little phrase that must make us think according to the power that works in us. You have a power that works in you, whether you know it or not. One of the, one of the basic Christian concepts is that agreement with the truth can release the power of the truth. But if you disregard the truth, that truth will not always have its necessary or, or its, its ability to do the thing for you that you need. According to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. How? According to the power now that works in us. Do you have a power that works in you? The answer is yes. Do you feel it? The answer may be no. But that doesn't mean you're right when you say you don't. Argue with the scripture. Help yourself. Or nestle with it. A friend of mine used to say, there are things we need to wrestle, nestle with instead of wrestle with. Some of these things, you just got to climb up on there and hug a while. Let, let it osmose into your understanding. I, I made that little word up out of osmosis. So Now, I can identify at least two specific dangers that people face after a difficult season or experience. They're self-pity and self-centeredness. What's the common theme in those two phrases, self-pity and self-centeredness? It's not pity and it's not centeredness, it's self. But self-pity is a trap. Let me just say this boldly and plainly. You will not survive if you continue to feel sorry for yourself. Let me say this. Basically, nobody cares. I mean, they will up to a point, then they won't. It doesn't work. It does not attract people. It repels people. Now, I have a friend of mine. He died at 103. He preached the gospel from when he was 16 years old. He knew the Lord in a profound way. He used to tell me that self-pity is hurt pride. I want you to wrestle with this because what does God resist? Pride. So if self-pity is hurt pride, you're not in a position to get the kind of help that's available. Somebody clap. Somebody. And I'm not talking to you. I want you to cheer for me because I'm listening. I'm reading. I get it. People used to ask this man named Smith Wilsworth. They say, how you doing? He says, I don't know. I don't ask myself. Now, that could be avoidance of reality, or that could be a man that maybe knows something we don't understand yet. Anyway, 
work that out. It sounds harsh about self-pity and hurt pride, but what if it's true? Maybe the Lord's trying to give us a clue here we haven't seen. How many of you know that self-pity does not help? There we go. Work that out. Emerson said, every man supposes himself not to be fully understood. You can give up on being understood, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord understands. Sometimes that's enough. And then self-centeredness. Harry Bazell, one of my former pastors, used to say that self-centeredness can become a landing pad for demonic oppression. In other words, at a given point, thinking about yourself too much can give the enemy access in a way that you could restrict. I mean, resist the devil and what will he do? The Bible says he'll flee from you. Some of you are familiar with Ed Koch. He was former mayor of New York many years ago. He was a notoriously self-centered man, and in an interview he said this, but enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? That's how dangerous that stuff is. Yeah, let's talk about you. What do you think of me? One idea, find a focus on something and someone outside of yourself to care for and help. As we're going to see later, Naomi and Ruth were healed and overcame every obstacle because they became more committed to the other's welfare than their own. That is one of the bases of the remarkable turnaround for Naomi and for the fulfillment of an unbelievable destiny for Ruth. Healed, overcame every obstacle. And oh, brother, thou that was obstacle. Because they became, you have to be in my generation, they became more committed to the other's welfare than their own. The second thing, recognize what you have. Naomi may have lost her husband. She may have lost her sons. She may have lost her wealth, but she had Ruth. After suffering so much loss and returning to Bethlehem, Naomi said that the Lord brought her home again empty, but that wasn't true. She wasn't empty. She had someone of value in her life. Ruth was in her life. And as Naomi focused on Ruth's welfare, the Lord sovereignly used Ruth to bring Naomi into a life of fullness and abundance she would never have had even with her first family. This is the most remarkable thing to listen to this morning. Through all the disaster, all the trouble, her conclusion about how the Lord had treated her and what circumstances she went through, if those circumstances hadn't evolved and if the sovereignty of God was not on her side, if she had not made an attempt to get out of her mess, she would not have experienced one of the most remarkable episodes in the life of I could say in all human history, and she never would have experienced that if she had not lost everything she lost. I'll tell you more of that story 
another time, but I'm just whetting your appetite so you'll read that book. W-H-E-T, whet your appetite. Naomi had a Ruth in her life. Say that with me. Naomi had a Ruth in her life. Naomi had a Ruth in her life. What does that mean? Well, it's a picture. Ruth means friend. And each one of us have a friend in our lives named Jesus, whether we realize it or not. And no matter what we do, we can't chase him off with a stick. You can't stay. When Jesus makes up his mind about you, you're in trouble or you're going to be in good shape. But you're in one of them because he ain't going to leave you alone. Even though Naomi tried to run Ruth off, she tried hard. Read that first chapter. She did everything but hit her with a stick. Ruth wouldn't leave. Even in our emptiness and bitterness, we just simply can't run Jesus off. Which Jesus? The one who promises to never leave us or what? Forsake us. Why do we have that kind of a promise unless we need that kind of a promise? Why do we have that kind of promise unless we need that kind of promise? Two other things are important, focus and thanksgiving. Whatever we focus on grows. What we're thankful for increase. When Jesus broke the, the uh, blessed and broke the bread, he thanked God for it prior to every creative miracle of food multiplication. Every creative miracle was preceded by brokenness. Don't ever, Bobby, shot me down. Brokenness, being blessed, and being grateful preceded every multiplication miracle in the New Testament. First Thessalonians 5.18, and everything. Somebody say everything. Everything. What does that include? What does everything include? What can you identify outside of everything? Nothing. But even nothing's included in everything. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus concerning you. There are virtually two verses in the New Testament that identify the will of God. One of them is to be thankful. I want to do the will of God. Well, get happy. Be thankful. Be grateful. That's the will of God. Well, I don't feel that way. Didn't ask you to. Just told you what to do. Sometimes God knows better than us. Come on. Arthur Bird, I mentioned earlier, he used to say, Robin, if you want a thing to grow, feed it. If you want a thing to die, starve it. What are you feeding? What are you starving? You feeding your faith? You feeding your discouragement? What do you feed? Whatever you feed, it's going to grow. Which one are you going to feed? We do have choice in this matter. I worked with a fellow for seven years and his classic response to any of my complaints was, Robin, is your glass half full or half empty? We need to be thankful for what we have and see what God will do. By the power it says it works in us. Now this third thing is don't yield to bitterness. Bitterness can blind us to what we do have. You can have something, but your attitude of heart can't see it.
It can keep us from seeing and identifying even what the Lord is bringing into our lives. Some of my favorite verses of scripture, Jeremiah 17, five through eight, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. That word cursed is rooted in the word bitterness. What will that man be like who trusts in man? And depends on natural strength, even his own natural strength. Well, the problem is when you do that, you depart from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see when good comes. This does not say good doesn't come. This says he won't see it when it comes. The condition of your heart can keep you from seeing what God is bringing and what God has put in your life. But they will inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and assault land, which is uninhabited. And then it talks about the blessings of the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord. Verse 7, verse 8, For he shall be like what kind of tree? Planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, underground, invisible, under the surface, Ability to be fed in drought. And he won't fear when he comes, but his leaf will be green and won't be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The next thing is repentance and humility. Whenever I read these stories, I have questions I can't get answers for. How many of you are in that category? You got questions you don't get answered. So I've asked myself, did Naomi's family do the right thing when they left Bethlehem? Was a poor choice the reason for so much of their heartache? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think he can answer that question. But either way, the Lord had a pathway for Naomi's restoration. And he's got pathways for all of us. He has pathways for every one of us. And that pathway can be described as both the can be described as the way of faith and the way of humility. In the early parts of this story, after all her problems, we find Ruth 1.6 say, Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited Bethlehem by giving them bread. And so I see a a spiritual pattern here. I call it hearing, arising, returning. Hearing, arising, and returning. Actually, I just remembered one of the Psalms says, and in returning and rest shall we be established. See, there's there's this problem we have that when things throw us off, one of the first things we do is we leave the Lord in a certain way. I don't mean you fall away, but so there's always this idea of repentance, of returning. And so I see, I he, I see this pattern. Naomi, in her condition, heard that there was now bread in Bethlehem. She heard a word of hope. There's bread. Andy did a message years ago on bread. 
Bethlehem's the house of bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. There's bread, ladies and gentlemen. There's provision. There's answer. There's that next thing that when we hear, it will cause us to arise and return to the thing God has for us. That's how faith works. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ. So Naomi had a choice to make. And that choice was the way of faith. But faith often requires humility. She'd heard that the Lord had provided bread, but that bread was back in Bethlehem. But she decided to get up. She decided to arise. But for her to access the bread, she would need to humble herself and return. And that's what she did. We see this also in Ruth chapter 1, 19 through 21. Now the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? What did that mean? This prominent, wealthy woman of means with a well-respected and well-known family who has come back in poverty with virtually nothing? Is this the woman that left here? Can you imagine? Can you imagine being the best and the brightest and having to go back to where you are no longer seen that way? How many of you can, can sort of grasp what I'm saying? You've made a big splash somewhere. You've done really well and somehow you lose it all and you got to go back to the people you left who knew you as much more than you are now. That takes humility. And so Naomi said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. It's the same word for Mary. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. But here's what we need to see. She heard, she arose. She wasn't going to quit. In the face of all her trouble, she wasn't going to lay down. But she returned to a place that required humility. She had gone out full. She thought she'd returned empty. But that was where the bread was. What she didn't know, at the time, her humility and return to Bethlehem set up the stage for one of the most remarkable breakthroughs and turnarounds in the scripture. Remarkable. I'll talk about that later. Not today. Even in her sense of loss, she humbled herself and acted in faith. 
what happens when you humble yourself, according to James 4, 6, and 7. God gives more grace. How many people want more grace? Verse 6, but he gives us more grace. That's why it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And another scripture says, I think in Peter, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time. Well, by chapter 2, verse 20, because of things that had begun to turn around, Naomi said to Ruth, God's loving kindness has not left us either through life or through death. Now, what we see that as Naomi went through the process, her heart began to heal. And as her heart began to heal, she began to see God more accurately. Well, what happened? God's sovereignty kicked into gear. The last chapter, uh, verse of chapter 1 reads, So Naomi returned to her village with Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law. They arrived in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest had begun. So Naomi and Ruth had returned to Bethlehem facing poverty and starvation. But in the sovereignty of God, they came back just when the harvest had begun. Ruth stumbled. Then she stumbled into an amazing coincidence. Ruth 2 verse 2. One day Ruth said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain, whatever's left. Maybe somebody will be kind enough to let me gather the grain they leave behind. And Naomi said, go. Verse 3, so Ruth went to the fields to gather the grain. The reapers left behind. It just so happened. Say that with me. It just so happened. She just so happened to go back when the harvest began. And then she just so happened to randomly pick the field belonging to Boaz of the family of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. Now, according to Israelite law, when a farmer reaped his harvest, he was not to send his workers through the field a second time to pick up what was left or anything they dropped. These were left to the poor, and the poor could come in, and they could glean whatever was left. And say, Ruth winds up accidentally or coincidentally in the field of Boaz, who began to show her unbelievable favor because he had heard what Ruth had done for Naomi, and Naomi was an in-law of his. But Ruth didn't know it. She accidentally stumbled upon the field of the only man in Israel who would have ever been willing to marry her and restore all of Naomi's inheritance. It just happened. Lord, we want to stumble into sovereignty this morning. We would like divine coincidences to fall fall on us like May showers. But God really is at work to bless and enrich our lives whether we know it or not. And we can stumble in his providence without even being aware that he set it up for our benefit. Let me close with this. Naomi's life changed because she sought 
the welfare of Ruth, and Ruth's life changed because she sought the welfare of Naomi. That may be the most important thing the Lord wants us to hear today. Naomi's life changed because she sought Ruth's welfare. Ruth's life changed because she sought Naomi's welfare. So let me just ask you the question this morning. No, I don't have a question. Why don't we pray? Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes. Let me see what you've put in my life. Let me see who you've put in my life. Let me see you accurately and not through the lens of my disappointments. Lord, show me who I can help. Show me whose welfare I can enhance. We just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, folks. We do have our prayer teams ready this morning. Any of you who would like prayer, we welcome you to come forward. And we will bless you to the best of our ability. And listen, the rest of you have a great, great weekend. And I wanted to thank Thomas for the words he spoke about Pentecost Sunday and the fact that the power of the Spirit is available for all of us. It's according to the power that works in us that God can help us. So God bless you folks and have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.